Well, if you've been with us, we've been in a series on the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians, the underlying topic of the whole book is how the gospel impacts every area of life. Corinth, this ancient city, was strategic, but it was a wealthy, it was a, a strategically placed one, but it was a very corrupt and, and, and very uh, promiscuous society. But Paul planted a church there, and it thrived and grew. It became a very large church. And Paul spent 18 months, it's, it's covered in Acts 18, and then he left on his missionary journeys to go plant a church in another place because this was his calling. And then he gets word later on that here all of these people that are now navigating this new faith are having troubles. There's difficulties in the church. So Paul sits down to write the book of 1 Corinthians to address the problems that people were experiencing. And why is this so relevant to us? Because the problems that people were dealing with in first century Corinth are the same things that people are dealing with in 21st century church today. We dealt with the subject last week of division, and today we're going to deal with another. Because here's the beauty of what Paul desired. He wanted this, and as he addressed it, he defines the problem, and then he asks everyone to look at the situation through the lens of the gospel. Remember, I've been over the last couple weeks use these glasses because why? He's asking people of God to put on gospel glasses, to look at life and the situations that they're dealing with in light of the gospel. The fact is you are not who you used to be. Now because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did for you, because of what Jesus is doing in you, life should look differently. And I leave these on today because listen to me for a moment. These look ridiculous, okay? What I'm going to talk about today is going to seem ridiculous, especially if you're not a follower of Christ. But I know this, that even in the church world, because the church in Corinth was struggling with sex and sexuality, the church in the 21st century is dealing with sex and sexuality. So how are we going to deal with this subject? Because listen to me today. Listen, listen folks. My intent is not up to, to, stand, to sit up here, you know, to stand up here, I should say, and lecture you. My intent is that we have a conversation. Because what I share today is not intended in any way, shape, or form to bring guilt or shame to anyone. In fact, I speak over this congregation today, shame off of you. Because too much of the time, the opportunity of this, this subject creates tension. Okay, It can be awkward because I know there's a percentage of people that are in this building today that are like, what the heck is he talking about this for? That's inappropriate from the pulpit. And there's another group of people who's like, their defenses are already up, their mind's made up, I don't care what you have to say because I'm not ready to listen to some antiquated, outdated idea of sexuality. Come on, Pastor Ken, this is the 21st century, get free. Okay, So I understand, but listen to me. You guys need to recognize, Satan didn't create sex, okay? Nor does he own this issue, okay? God created it, and I want to look at it from that end, but so listen, draw with me today. Think, just think about this for a moment. Have you ever noticed in the culture that we live in that the idea of what sex and sexuality is is constantly changing and at odds? You ever notice that? Or what used to be private and personal is now public and many times in your face. 
Think about this. We live in the United States of America, right? Have you ever noticed that we're a highly sexualized society? From movies and television to advertising. In every area, the way people dress. I mean, it's in everything. You can't seem to escape that reality. It's just a part of our culture. And so, in essence, you ever notice also, think about this, how awkward sometimes it can be. Because if you're a parent in the room, and you ever had the, the talk, how difficult sometimes. I remember sitting my boys down when they were teenagers and say, guys, you know, well, I did them one at a time. You know, I started with my oldest, and I talked to him when I figured the age was appropriate. And we sat down, and I'm like, okay, all right, how do we navigate this topic, okay? I don't know if you've been there or not. And my boys had this private speak, did dad give you the talk? Right? Because when I was a kid, my parents never talked to me about that issue. I learned about it from the ignorance of my friends. Because too many times, okay, we're very ignorant about this subject. But today, hear my heart. This is not intended, again, to bring guilt, to bring shame. But so often, these areas are kept in the dark. They're not really discussed. We try sometimes to put them away. But the honesty, if we're really honest, is that many people carry stuff around with them. And they struggle under. And so I decided today a good way would to begin is I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, I don't have answers to these questions, but kind of a lean in. I want you all to just think with me. No matter if your mind's already made up, no matter if you already have an opinion about all this, just think with me for a moment. Okay, it's all I'm asking you to do is think. First question. Why is it so difficult for a child who's been sexually abused to get beyond it, to shake it off? Why often does that, kid, that follow people all the way through the rest of their adult life? Second question. Why is rape so much more devastating to the person who it, who it happens to than simply being beat up? Why is it so secretive? Why is it not reported? Why is it so shameful that people don't deal with it? Why is it so much more difficult psychologically emotionally, than just getting beat up? Third question. Why is it that men with the deepest sexual issues usually have uninvolved or missing fathers? Why is that so predictable in our age that now behavioral psychologists can automatically tell in the course of sometimes crimes and other things that the kind of when they profile somebody, this is what you're looking for? And why is that? Just a question to think about. Fourth one is this. Why is it that people, their greatest regrets are often sexual? In my profession, when people say, Pastor Ken, can I talk to you about something really private? And they come in and we talk behind closed doors. And they say, listen, if it starts this way, I need to tell you something I've never, ever told anybody before. I know nine times out of ten, they're about to tell me something sexual. Why is it? I mean, you think about it. If you're adults in the room, why is it stuff that sometimes we carry around as baggage that we never, ever bring out? You talk about skeletons in the closet? We never bring any of that out. Okay? Last question. Does sex simplify or complicate relationships? Why, once, why is it when sex is a part of a relationship 
It's so much more complicated and so much more painful if things don't turn out the way you anticipated or expected. Why? I mean, think about the culture we live in, guys. Again, I'm just talking. These are just facts. Come on, think about this. Who doesn't, who doesn't work today in a workplace that HR hasn't come in and talked to you about sexual harassment? Right? Isn't that a part of our everyday culture? I mean, who's heard of the Me Too movement where the idea of exploitation is taking place at, at epic numbers that was never reported, never brought out before? Why is it today in America that every 68 seconds a sexual assault happens? These are just facts. And what about the issues of things like pornography and its absolute epic proportions and the way it impacts young people? I mean, I'm not here to, put, to bring up stir up problems, but listen to me. And if it's all okay, just in that one area alone, if it's all okay, if all this is freedom, then why do people go to such extents to, to delete their history and wipe out their stuff if all of this is just freedom? See, every generation, every culture, every society has sought to discover the idea of what does it mean to be a fulfilled human. And that means that every generation and every society has had a sexual revolution. Because what fuels that idea is that fulfillment is a personal psychological happiness that if anything attempts to get in the way of it, especially traditional morality, then it by definition is oppressive, repressive, and tries to stop the flourishing of human life. And that's why people say, well, who are you to say what is right and what is wrong? So here, the Apostle Paul has this responsibility. Because people will say, well, Pastor Ken, the issue of hang-ups about this is religious. It's, it's religious fault. But here, let me tell you this. Paul was Speaking to a church in Corinth, the Corinthian culture was a very promiscuous society. Sex was woven into the fabric of it. And in fact, all ancient religions included sexuality as a part of it. Just the only exception was Judaism. And then Christianity that grew out of Judaism had a, had a similar ethic as the Jews. And then Islam, which is a derivative in some way that attempts to be a derivative in some way that way, comes back. But otherwise, all religions, in fact, every time humans create a new religion, what we call a cult, do you ever notice that sexuality is a part of it, especially for the leader? Just thinking, just saying, right? So, the idea is this. Is it true? Let me expose, here, here as we start today, let me expose a myth about, that's, that's held in current culture. Here's the myth. Sex is purely physical. Today, people will say sex is physical. And is there a physical part? Of course. But that is a lie. Because we deal with the reality that sex is far more than physical. And so what? Paul begins to help a culture begin to recognize and understand that God had a purpose. God was the creator of sex. Okay? God doesn't close his eyes when married people have sex. He doesn't hide in a corner or think, no. No, God created it. God made it, okay? And somebody can say amen because you know, sure. <laughs> right? 
Well, you know, we want to give it a deal. Listen, the devil don't own this. And he certainly doesn't want me talking about this today. But the truth of the matter is this. See, I want you to experience freedom. Truth is not meant, meant to cause shame or guilt. Truth is meant to set you free. Hiding it doesn't make it go away. And so this is a safe environment, I hope, for us to be able to talk. Because listen to me. Paul was attempting to show that in God's creative order, God had a purpose in mind. Sex is sacred. Sex was created by God. In fact, sex in its appropriate place brings glory to God. So, the question is, and here's where we begin the journey today, is this. Abuse and misuse occur when purpose is not known. Abuse and misuse occur when purpose is not known. Why? Because everything created is created for a purpose. Whoever creates something has something in mind when they create it, right? But the second reality is this, that not, not all purpose is known. Okay, not all purpose is known, which leads me to my third reality is this. When purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Have you ever used something that, what, that for a use that it wasn't intended, wasn't created for? I mean, who hasn't used a butter knife to try to screw something into the wall? Okay. <laughs> Have you ever been desperate enough? I mean, have you ever, I mean, this is my cell phone, all right? Have you ever thought about using this in a way that it's really not designed or be ever? Like, say you're so desperate that you need to, to hang something up. You need to put something in the wall, right? If you feel so compelled, so, the reality is this. Is this designed for that? Because if you use it, right? Oops. Wow, okay. Yeah, when you use something for a purpose, it wasn't created. Abuse, misuse, pain, and hurt can be a part of that reality. So in essence, what's the purpose for sex? What's the purpose for sex? Before all of you go jump on this end, listen, to, just, just follow me today. Because listen, purpose is only found in the mind of the creator. Purpose is only found in the mind of the creator, which is why you and I must recognize when Moses wrote the book of Genesis, you have to recognize he wrote that around 1550 BC. There was already at that point 2,500 years of human history. And what Moses wrote was so revolutionary, so epically different, and Jesus echoed everything that Moses said. Jesus wholly agreed with this end. And Moses brings about this understanding that God took chaos and began to bring order in his creative way. All of creation is an ability to take the chaos of the uncreated world and bring the beauty of God's creation. So God comes all the way down to this end. And right before humans come on the scene, God creates animals, right? Now, do animals have sex? Do they? But one thing you won't find in the animal kingdom is they don't abuse sex. Okay? There's not a hotline for, for animal rape. Okay? Never, nor have you ever seen two bulls sitting up beside a river watching a couple of cows and all the girl cows bathe in the river. And one bull says to the other, you think Betsy's free tonight? That maybe we can go out and hook up, you know, score a big one? Do, that, do that's how animals act? No. But here, what Moses brings the understanding is that humans are not like animals. Humans are distinct. Humans are the typification of all God's creation. 
Humans were made in the image and the likeness of God. Now this is where it begins to being clear. If you go to, because purpose is in the mind of the creator, how did God create? He created, it says, you can read this for yourself, Genesis 1, it says, God created them, male and female, in the image of God created he them. One of the things that's been misunderstood in culture is that men and women in the eyes of God are equals. God made them distinct and different. No, a man is not a woman and a woman is not a man. Our identity comes by God from birth. Why is this so confusing in our culture today? God made the distinction and he gave each a part that is so unique, so special, so creative because the two together equal the image of God. Why? Because when God unfolded this reality, and you go into Genesis 2, Genesis 2 does this, does rewind a little bit, okay? Goes backwards and it says, listen, he made man, then he said it's not good for the man to be alone, okay? And he what? He took something from the man and made woman. So in other words, man and woman together equal what God initially intended in purpose. And when the two of them are together, it equals the image of God in its fullness. But listen to me. When's the first time sex is ever mentioned in the Bible? The very first words humans ever heard were what? What was the first words humans ever heard? Sex was the very first thing God ever said to humankind. Why? Because he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over everything they created. So the very first things humans heard was sex was an initial and important part of God's creation of humanity. Because what distinguished humans from other spiritual beings? God made all angels. God gave humankind the responsibility of being like God, being creators, being able to bring other images of God into the world. So what's the purpose, the primary purpose of sex according to the Bible? To bring other human life into the earth. Because we've been confused about this issue. Even in the church world, like I said, the world at large, I'm not talking to people who don't know or don't claim to have faith in Christ. If you're not here today and you're here that way, you can just listen. But if you are a follower of Christ, the question is this, who has the right to determine what's right and wrong? Is not the creator the one? And so the purpose, so here's the point. If we held to the primary purpose of sex, it would answer so many questions that people have in culture today. They'll ask the question, well, Pastor Ken, what about masturbation? What about pornography? What about same-sex unions? What about, the, you go through all the rest of them, I say, listen, what produces life? Doesn't that answer much of the questions on that end? Do we as humans struggle on areas? Yes. That's called the brokenness of what happened. When sin entered the garden, the first thing it broke was relationships and it created mistrust and misuse and abuse. That's the story. That's the beauty of what Moses wrote because he gives a commentary. The I love the Bible. It's so honest because the Bible shows us that every time God's purposes for sex is abused, it brings pain. God never, people look at the Bible and they, they see it the wrong way. God never endorsed polygamy. 
It brought pain in, in Abraham's relationship. It brought pain. Listen to me. God says that a man is to love his wife like, like Christ loved the church. It's hard enough for a man to love the image of God that is his wife in the way God intended. Try doing that four times. Are you kidding me? Jacob had four wives and a bunch of kids and it brought nothing but strife, pain, and difficulty. See, if you ever think the idea, if you ever have the idea that if I have a favorite wife, there will be no peace in my life, that's the truth. Because never did God endorse polygamy. No, the pain, you see David, Samson, Solomon, everywhere it was abused. It brought difficulty, pain, and heartache. And here God was giving the understanding. This is what it's about. It's primary purpose. Because why? The second thing that God ever said about sex is found in Genesis 2. Genesis 2. Because God made the man and the woman and he brought them together in the union of marriage. Why? Because marriage is a covenant relationship. It is a commitment of two people in love to love one another till death do us part. In essence, it's the only relationship strong enough because here's the psychological truth, whether you disagree with me or not, here's the psychological truth that every study over the last 50 years have affirmed. That for children, children that are raised in a two-parent family, a male and a female together in the bond of marriage, have a better chance they'll do better in school. They will have less chance of living in poverty and less chance of being arrested and being in prison. That's just a societal fact. So God knew that in the love relationship of a man and a woman together in union to marriage is the safe place where children can be born. But you ask me the question, well, Pastor Ken, is sex pleasurable? And the answer to that, are you kidding? <laughs> of course it is. People wouldn't abuse it if it wasn't. The Bible tells us that sex, I mean, that sin has pleasure for a season. See, if you ever sin and you don't have pleasure, you're not doing it right. But the season has an expiration date in it. And the heartache and pain, God is attempting to avert that because he loves us too much. And the fact is, if you think that sex is purely physical, if you treat it that way, you'll hurt yourself and you'll hurt elder people around. Because the pleasure and the power that sex was to encourage, this is where God said it. Genesis 2.24, we hear it in wedding ceremonies. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined unto his wife. And the two shall be one flesh. And they were naked and unashamed. Now listen to me. What was God saying in that? See, the word one flesh gives us the understanding that when two people come together in the unity of sex, it creates a union, a oneness that nobody has actually ever warned us about. And when we abuse it, this is what Paul has to do. So look at this is brilliant. You kind of get this purpose set up. He says to them, because here's where the Corinthian church was struggling. He says, you say I am allowed to do anything. People heard, I'm free in Christ. So, you know, some of you, you think you got a loophole. I can go out, do anything I want, Friday night, Saturday night. I confess my sin. He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. I show up on Sunday morning, no problem. Because if you think it's purely physical, see, we don't bring about, he says, listen to me. Am I allowed to do anything? 
Well, God, did God give us a free will? But we don't bear with the idea that there are consequences that maybe nobody's ever even shared. He said, I'm, am I allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Isn't that true? And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. See, why is it that we become so addicted? Why is this one of the major problems we're struggling with in our culture today of sexual addictions that nobody talks about, that people struggle with and suffer in, in secret? You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Can I say something to you? Okay. Because yes, there's this point. People say, well, Pastor Ken, isn't sex a need? Isn't it a physical need? Well, can I be real with you for a minute? Food, water are entirely important physical needs. Because without food, without water, you will die. But can I be honest with you? An adult any, or any human being can go through their entire life and not have sex and you won't die. Now, if you're a young purple in here, you don't want to hear that. But it's the truth, right? But you know what? Here's the problem. We have become masters in our culture, especially, of turning wants into needs. If you're a parent, you can all affirm this reality. Because when your kid comes to you and says, I need a, an iPhone. Oh, you need an iPhone. No, you want an iPhone. You don't need an iPhone. No, no, mom, dad, you don't understand. I need Jordans, okay? I need it. I need it. We are a master of turning wants into needs, right? And so in essence, there is a desire. Sex is a desire, but it's not a need. And he says what? Food is made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Can you not abuse food? Even food is a good thing. And how many people, and if you struggle with it, I'm not making you feel bad, but we all. I, you know, I struggle with it. And I have to deal with standing up here before you when you know when I've abused it and ate too much or had it because I'm right up before everybody, okay? But he says this. Isn't it not true, though, that God one day will do away with both of them? But you cannot say, now here, he's talking about to a Christian community. But you cannot say that your bodies were made for sexual immorality. See, the word immoral means what? Morality means the right and wrong reality, right? Isn't that morality? Who has a right to determine what's right or wrong? Isn't it God? Do we, not, we misunderstand the gospel? The gospel is how God, through Christ, took the burden of our sin away. Jesus went to great lengths to free us from our sins. But that doesn't mean we should be free to go back into it. What he paid his life for to get us out of. Sexual immorality is when you use it something for a purpose it wasn't designed for. And he said, you cannot say, because here's the cry of our culture today. Who are you to say what is right and what is wrong? It's my body. I can do with it as I want to do with it. But if you are in Christ, you no longer belong to yourself. He says, but you can't say why. Because listen, what he tells us is we were made for the Lord and the Lord cares about our bodies. See, if you're a Christian, you realize that my body has now become in Christ the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I am one with Christ, which is what Paul's argument goes on to say. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised the Lord from the dead. In other words, as us as Christians, whatever we do in the body matters. Because one day, God will hold us accountable for what we do in the body. Because we will be raised with a body. 
But don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man then take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Now Paul's making an argument, right? Because prostitution was a part of the worship of the people of Corinth in the, in the pagan ways. So he's like, can you continue to do that in Christ? He's like, no, no way. Why, Paul, why? Don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scripture says the two are united together in one. See, that's a reference back to Genesis 2.24, which means that he was talking about sex. Why is this so critical? Let me illustrate it for you. You see, if you want to make brownies, are not brownies delicious? Who doesn't love brownies? Okay? But how do you make brownies, right? Isn't there different ingredients you put together? So here, you take the mix, and you put it together, right? And then you have to add stuff to it, right? And see, when people engage in sexuality, they get to that place where they break their shell. They come out of their shell. Now, they're no longer ashamed, okay? They're willing to allow themselves to be exposed fully. So they break the shell, and they mix it in, right? And then they add the stuff and the ingredients. And here's the happening. Okay, here's, here's the reality of a sexual union. Because you have the mixing of physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual together. So you begin to mix it all up, and then you heat it up underneath the sheets. Right? Now, here's my question for you. Here's my question for you. See what I'm mixing there? Can you unmix it? Can you separate the parts again? Right? Now, what happens? After, you, after this is all finished, you get delicious brownies, right? But what happens? Here's the question. Just, I know, again, no shame and no guilt. Listen to me. What happens when that breaks and it doesn't last? When you break a brownie, you get all the crumbles. See, the honesty, if, we are, if we're really, really honest, we leave a part of ourselves in different places. Because what humans struggle with is they remember those times. They remember those experiences. It's not purely physical. Everybody in this room that's ever experienced it, you know it's not purely physical. It is far more than that. Why is teenage suicide at rates high at times? Because when you've given yourself and you have gone to the ultimate vulnerability to someone you say, do you love me? Because what is true intimacy? Intimacy is to know and to be fully known. But if you reduce sex down to purely a physical thing and it's about pleasure, then what happens is your partner becomes a means to an end and not the intent of what God intended sex to create. Because why? This is what Paul covers. Listen to me, listen to me. Paul goes on to say what? But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so he says what? Run from sexual sin. Some translation, NIV says it this way, flee from sexual sin. But I think a lot of Christians when reading it think it means flirt from, with sexual immorality. Why do I say that? Because people, I'm, can we be honest? People will come and say to me, Pastor Ken, how far can you go and not go too far? And I say that is absolutely the wrong question. Because the idea is how close can I come to the line without falling off? 
right? And you got to realize the culture we live in will push you, push you to the line. But if you step over, it will punish you. So why, if I'm, in, if, if I'm a Christian committed to God's purposes of sexual integrity, would I ever take things? It's like taking a car and driving it at 90 miles an hour and expecting to stop on a dime without crashing it. Are you kidding me? That is foolish. But nobody starts the engine, revs it up, and doesn't intend to take it somewhere. Y'all get what I'm talking about. See, the question that we need to ask ourselves he says, run from sexual sin. Why? Why, Paul? Why do we run? No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. See, why do people struggle with the feelings and things that they feel trapped in? Who can I talk to? Especially if they're married and you're struggling with prior relationships. That robs the intimacy of known and fully known. And let me ask you a question, because here's another myth in culture. Culture will say to you, well, who would buy a car, Pastor Ken, without test driving it? I don't want to get married and not know what I'm doing. Can I help you, especially if you're a young person, you've never been married before? You don't need an instruction manual. You figure sex out on your own, and that's the fun part to it. Do you know that God, it's so important to God, a whole book of the Bible is dedicated to marital love and sex. It's called the Song of Songs. It's what, pre, it's what preteen boys used to sneak out in ancient Israel and read behind the, behind the shed, okay? The idea is this. You and I must recognize, because that myth, oh, well, I want to have experience, so the person I marry, we're going to enjoy this for a lifetime. I don't want to appear like I don't know what I'm doing. No, that's what God intended, innocence to come in, because listen to me, listen to me, so critical. If you didn't hear anything else I said today, listen to this. Romance is fueled by exclusivity. You know what people struggle with that are married that would never admit? But if you're married, people struggle under this. If my partner had other experiences before we're married, do they ever compare me to that person? Do they ever think about that person? Now imagine if we lived in God's indulgence. That wouldn't even ever come into a point. See, why? Because, again, is sex pleasurable? Marriage. God designed it. Because, listen, let me finish this part. So, so critical. Listen. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given, it was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. That's what you have to understand the gospel creates. That we were once bound. We were once slaves. God freed us. But we don't belong to ourselves. Well, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. So in essence, what was God's purpose in marital intimacy? Sex. See this piece of tape? Why do we use tape? Doesn't tape hold things together? See, God intended the power, the absolute euphoria that people experience when they have sex to be something so intimate so powerful that two people uniquely experienced together that no one else on this planet would know about between the two of us, we share this alone. Nobody knows you like I know you and, you, and nobody knows me like you know me. 
We share something. And God intended that the power of this would be so good. See, the foundation of a marriage is not sex, but it is an important ingredient to it. Why? Because of all the pressures, all the things that come against marriage, God wanted something so amazing, so mind-blowing, so cool, so, so infinitely important because when two people have sex, they remember what happened in that man. You remember the face of that person. You remember how important it was. And there, when you're tempted to get angry, when you're tempted to allow life to pull you another way, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not giving up something so wonderful, so magnificent, so powerful that no one else but the two of us have shared together with each other. This is a powerful way. God intended this to be something to pull us back together. But you know what the problem with tape? You use it, keep using it. The more you stick it, unstick it, stick it, unstick it. What happens to the tape? The less sticky it becomes, harder our hearts become. When sex becomes purely physical, because the emotional, psychological stuff is so dark, so in a way that we've never even talked to anybody. So here, listen to me. You ever struggled in these fronts? I'm not here to condemn you. I want to help you. There is a place. You can find freedom. But you have to bring things to the light because the only way to dispel the enemy's darkness is to be willing in a safe place. I don't mean everywhere, but in a safe place to bring the pain and to know this, that Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to heal the broken hearted. Sex was designed for marriage. That's what the, the Corinthians realized. They asked Paul in this question, because he goes on to chapter 7 with this reality. Look at what he says. See, the creator's purpose for sex, marriage is the perfect design for it, because it's the only place safe enough. See, fire can be good, right? But you don't just light a fire anywhere, because it can burn. And too many of you in this room, you've been burned by sex. Because you never found the confinements of where it was supposed to bring heat and warmth and the good things that fire can bring as opposed to the pain of getting burned. See, now regarding the questions you had asked in a letter, see, they wrote Paul about this because they lived in a promiscuous society. They were thinking, should it be better that we don't even have sex at all? Paul doesn't conclude that. You can misunderstand here. He said, yes, it's good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there's so much sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. In other words, Paul's affirming this realization. Sex is designed for marriage and marriage alone. And he goes on to say this, the husband shall fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Ah, Pastor Ken, I thought you said it wasn't a need. You let that animal out of the cage, you need to feed it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, here's the point. Once two people are intimate, Intimacy is not unholy. That's the problem that all the uptight people that think I shouldn't be talking about this have. No, sex is holy. Sex is sacred. The New Testament tells us, let the marriage bed be undefiled. In other words, God isn't hiding his eyes when two people go into the bedroom that are married. No, God is right there. This glorifies God. And all the guys said, Amen. A husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. Yes, it's mutual. In other words, guys, it ain't just about you. 
Because if sex is given for love and love is giving, love is self-sacrificial, then it's about what can I give for you, not what can I get. Two people out giving one another is what marriage is intended by God to be because that's true love. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And all the guys said, amen. And the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. And all the ladies should say, amen. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Yes, that's in the Bible, New Testament, children of God. Listen to me. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless both agree, not one, both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. Limited time. So you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again. Amen. So why? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Do you know how crazy Satan is? All the married people, uh, be honest with me. You know you are massively tempted, so much pressure to go to bed before you are actually married. But after you were married, you became so busy, so distracted, it seemed like you can't even get into the bedroom anymore. Because that's how devil, the devil that tempted you to do it before it was right is the same devil that tries to keep you from doing it when it is right. That's why healthy sexuality is to understand that God's primary purpose to bring life into the earth. Secondary reality is the bond of pleasure and unity in a marital relationship that holds this thing that we call intimacy to know and be fully known, to experience something that you never have to separate again. We hear it because again, I said this before, I'm going to say it again. Romance is fueled by exclusivity. Nobody do I love like you. Nobody can make me feel like you do. I don't care what photos they see, what movies it is. It's all a lie. There is no one that has my heart that is safe like you. That's the beauty and power of sex in marriage. And that's why only purpose embrace leads to fulfillment. Again, please, don't anybody feel like I'm lecturing you today. Just an honest discussion. Is it okay? But I just want you to think about some things today. <laughs>